What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode number 57 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for Friday, July 28th, 2017. I am here with my co-host, Mike. How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing fine. I'm doing good. Uh, I got an appointment set up with a podiatrist, so I got to wait, though, for almost a month, pretty much, because it's really busy, so I got to wait over a month. Until I can actually get this toe fixed. So I went to the doctor and the doctor's like, yeah, I had one of those. I have that too. You're just going to have to get surgery eventually because it's not going to get any better. Because <laughs> he actually, he's had the exact same problem. He saw it. He looked at my toe and was like, yeah, I know what the, exactly what that is. For those so, just tuning in, Mike has an ingrown toenail, and the it's it's not your typical ingrown toenail. We, it's like something. Trust me, folks. This is this is must see TV right here. <laughs> you don't want to miss the Mike's ingrown toenail saga. We've been covering I'm mainly, this. I'm mainly only giving people updates on this because it's become kind of an in joke. So I'm like, I might as well just roll with it, you know, because people are actually you know in the group are talking about it and all of that. And the group uh, that Mike is referring to is our Facebook group, which is Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries, which you can join for very lively, fruitful discussions on uh, various, um, you know, mysteries and um, our podcast. If you want to talk shit about us in front of our face, that's where you would do it. But don't, please don't ruin <laughs> the page with any normie memes, though, whatever you do. <laughs> Yeah, I had to look yeah. up. I had to look up what a normie meme was. Um, yeah, somebody somebody posted that in the group, and I'm not I'm not like calling that person out or anything. I'm not saying that they were wrong. I just thought it was funny because I didn't even know what that was. I didn't know what that was either. Like I, I was just, I was totally confused. I was like, what the fuck is a normie meme? What's a what's a normie? I figured it was like a plebe or a plebe or however you say it. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought. It was just like somebody who's like a complete uh, novice. You know, doesn't know doesn't know shit about memes or to the internet but like in general the, but the 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 levels they showed like there's normie and there's like some other things and stuff and i'm like i don't really fit in the levels that they have there because i'm not really a normie because i know a lot of these memes i don't use them that much but i know of them yeah but i'm not on reddit or all this other Dude, shit it's too much it's, it's too much to so. keep up with it's, it's just way it's too much to keep up with they're always coming out with new shit. It's like you got you got to stay on the four chan message boards daily to like be hip to this crap. And I I don't really like those YouTube channels or those Instagrams or whatever where like you have to know all this inside kind of you know deep internet shit to even enjoy any of the memes or the floor is lava. You know that stupid game that kids were doing recently. That was that was a kind of a meme and. Uh... And a fad, as of late. Friends would run up to other friends, and they'd just randomly tell them the floor is lava, and then they'd have to try to, like, get off the floor. Yeah, see, stupid shit like that, I just... I, I don't know, man. <laughs> I, it's like... I don't have the time to follow up with that shit. I'm too busy watching Unsolved Mysteries or uh, true crime documentaries. That's right. <laughs> and you wouldn't think, by us discussing... But that that is what this podcast was started by and for is the show Unsolved Mysteries. You know, I gotta I gotta be honest, man. I 
I've taken a little sabbatical from Unsolved Mysteries lately. Like, I just... I, I have a little bit, too. I I was watching it just uh, from the moment that I moved into this new place in March up until, like, a month ago. I was just watching that show constantly. And I'm not burnt out on it, but I, I just want to give it a break. Because sometimes you... Sometimes you got to give you, the shows you love you, yeah, a break. You need to do that. Yeah, exactly. You can't constantly yeah. be, as our listeners click out, going, oh, never mind. I was here for the Unsolved Mysteries. And if they're not going to talk about that, I'm out of here. Uh, what? Okay, Barney. I know. Was that Barney? <laughs> oh, Homer. <laughs> Sorry, Homer. <laughs> yeah, but... Uh, yeah, I don't know. I've been giving that a little bit of sabbatical. I've been up to uh, this last week. Uh, my main thing has been Insomnia. Yeah, out of nowhere, too. Watching the movie Insomnia with, with Robin Williams? Oh, that, yeah, you know that's exactly what I was referring to, Mike. Of course. <laughs> of course that's what I was talking about. No, no. no unfortunately, no. I'm talking about the um, not able to fall asleep uh, variety of Insomnia. Mm. Yeah, it started about a week and a half ago. Um, I'm, I'm laying down in a leather couch right now in my psychiatrist's office, uh, just for y'all's information. It started about a week and a half ago, um, and it was it stems from my childhood. No, I'm just joking. Um, Tell me about your mother. Um, my mother was um, she was a whale. Uh, she was she beat me, and she was a taskmaster, and. Uh, uh, a domineering woman and I loved every second of it. No, um, yeah, no, I don't. I don't know. It was weird. Um, the only variable in my life uh, I've been taking for the past four or five weeks is medication called Buspar, which is for anxiety. Because I'm revealing it right here now, folks. I suffer from really horrible anxiety. Well, that that really wasn't any news to anybody or maybe it might be i don't know i mean it's not horrible anxiety to be honest maybe it was all that unsolved mysteries all the murder well i could tell you mike watching it as a little kid at the age of eight probably didn't help (laughs) probably didn't help me turn into a uh fully formed fully realized adult but uh yeah that's the only thing that's been different in my life has been taking that abuse bar shit and some of the side effects was uh, insomnia so I've been taped Oh so that's that's where it's Well from, yeah. I'm hoping you know like I'm hoping I, I think uh I'm hoping it's not psychosomatic I hope I'm not doing it to myself at this point um I'm trying to taper off this medication You haven't watched so much you know it hasn't been like the result of watching so many unsolved mystery segments that you're just like Oh God! Someone's gonna break into my house. The lawnmower man's gonna come over. Oh God! That late at night. You know, I as, again for those of you who don't <laughs> and he's know, he's gonna take his lawnmower. He's gonna mow my lawn, and then go in and come into the house and mow me. With no, it. dude, I have a great, I have a great plot for that. For those of you who don't know, the lawn, the lawnmower man story is uh, basically in short, it's a guy, it's this old guy who lives across the street from me. And he came up to my door one day, and he's like, I'll mow your lawn. I'll make it look real good. And I was like, okay. And we kind of discussed the price and everything. And then he mowed my lawn one morning. And then he came back, or uh, like two days later, asking for more money because he's like, the lawn was a little little high back there, man. I had to make four trips just to get it mowed. Could you, could you take care of me a little bit, give me a little bit more money? And it was this whole big ordeal, and at first I was like, no, fuck that, and then I finally just paid him off so he would get the fuck 
off my, you know, property and not keep coming up to my... Dude, I would be... I did the pod... My solo podcast, episode 54, 55, or whatever, where I did the solo episode. He came to my door during the the recording of that podcast. And I had to... Like, I I edited that shit out. But, uh... So yeah, uh, this guy, he, yeah, I haven't heard from him since I paid him the money, thank God, but uh, I bought my own lawnmower, I've been mowing my own lawn, and I just thought in my head, like, like for an idea for like a, like a crazy like murder movie or something, what if he like got a, like emotionally attached to my lawn that one time that he mowed it, and he felt that like it was his lawn, and he was meant to be with the lawn, and every time he sees me mowing uh, my lawn with my own lawnmower. He's just torn up inside, and he's so hurt by it. And he's like, "Ah, oh, I can't believe that he's mowing my lawn with that lawnmower." His, me and his lawn are supposed to be together, and he just gets driven crazy. That I'm mowing my own lawn instead of him mowing it because he feels like he knows exactly what that lawn needs for happiness. So he ends up coming to my house and breaking in and cutting my head off with a lawnmower blade or something, and then he fucks... Then he goes in the back, and he cuts a hole in the ground, and he fucks my lawn. (laughs) (laughs) And then he gets pregnant, and he gives birth to baby Groot. (laughs) That kind of reminds me of the original story for The Lawnmower Man uh, by Stephen King, because it's this guy who has grass pubes, what? Wait. Yeah. Is that is that the end of the statement? End of the statement. Yeah, he has what? grass no, pubes. He, yeah, th- yeah. He does have grass pubes. The guy, the lawnmower man, in in that story. And there's a few other things, whatever. But it's nothing like the actual movie with Pierce Brosnan and Jeff Fahey. I've never seen it. Big surprise there. Anyway, hey, uh, actually, um, before we get any further, so yeah, there was a delay in our podcast, and that was uh, we didn't record Wednesday. That's why you guys are getting this late right now. Uh, the bit, big yeah. sorry to our patreons, which is patreon.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries, by the way, if you want to. And if you want to, we have multiple different tiers. Uh, you can get the podcast early, well, with a $3 one, right? The early, the, the cheapest yeah. one, get the podcast early. $5, we have a story. Uh, that Josh will uh, tell specifically about you, and it's uh, the real. Ten dollar tier, <laughs> very. Or maybe real. it's not the ten dollar tier. That one, uh, you get all the other perks as well as exclusive bonus content. Uh, I posted two bonus episodes of uh, the show with just yours truly, talking about a couple cases from Unsolved Mysteries on there for the ten dollar and above tier. So if you want to hear me talk about uh, some Unsolved Mysteries cases that it, I didn't feel were detailed enough or there wasn't like enough stuff in them to really talk about with Josh on the regular show. You can check those out. And then we have a $20 tier that has all the other stuff and a live chat, which we really need to get around to doing. And uh, Yeah, but the whole reason I bring that up is uh, like, what, what the fuck was going on Wednesday, Mike? What's going on with the driving stuff? Well, yeah, that's the reason why I wasn't able to record uh, on Wednesdays because I had a, a driving behind the wheel driving lesson at driving school, and um, it, it went a lot better than I thought it would because I was honestly, folks, I was pretty scared beforehand because I'd never, I've never gotten behind the wheel of a car and done anything. Okay, I'm not, not, I, I don't know how to drive. 
I've never done any like driving around in a parking lot before. So it was pretty intimidating. But the instructor was really nice and kind. He was really good. And I... I've still got a long ways to go. Like, apparently I'm oversteering. So, like, I don't know how to be careful with the steering wheel or make small movements. I'm just going big or go home, apparently. Um, also, I need to learn how to use the shuffle technique of steering. Shuffle steering. So I'm not, like scrambling around trying to steer the steering wheel so the only roads the um, only roads you can turn down are 90 degree angle roads where you just have to cut the wheel just extreme left or extreme right apparently um i also i can go straight i can use the gas and i can use the brake but i still need the spatial relationship stuff i need to work on uh spatial awareness uh but you know that stuff will come with time and this is a, and it's this is all things. more more challenging to you personally because of your uh, your Aspergers, correct? Yeah, I would have to say that because of all the different stuff. You know, usually I'm pretty good at multitasking, but with something like this, it's just overwhelming because it's just so much to to keep track of and remember and keep. You know, it's just uh, I'll, I'll do I'll give it my best shot, but I think it's going to be pretty difficult. Um, but I'm going to try, I really do, I really would like to learn how to drive because I, I don't really like the idea of going, riding on the bus for five hours and every day going to school and then having to walk almost a mile to the campus every huh. day. And, I don't really like that. And if you drive, you can like get chicks and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can get chicks. <laughs> Shut up, Beavis. What do you know about getting chicks? <laughs> uh, oh yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, bro. You gotta do it for the chicks, man. That's the whole reason you learn to drive. It's the whole reason you get a car. But you know what? You have a successful YouTube channel, so you don't need to be able to drive to get chicks. I forgot. Cause no, that doesn't that doesn't get me chicks. I, I don't barely get any, you know, female audience from there. Like it says, there's like a low percentage, like a fourteen percent or something. But I. I think there's like a couple girls who watch my videos, but not very, not very many. Hmm. You gotta start. We you gotta start wearing robes in your video, Mike. <laughs> and then just kind of undo the robe in the middle of the review. Just kind of unfasten the middle of it. Oh, oh it'd be like the Antonio Banderas skit in SNL where he's like uh, Chris Kattan's playing Antonio Banderas, and he like keeps unbutt. He's like keeps uh, taking off his shirt during the video, yeah. the skit. So he, like, unbuttons one button at a time, and, like, he has his co-host played by Horatio Sands, who's all like, Oh, too sexy! <laughs> too sexy! Oh! Exactly. Yeah, that's, yeah. What, that's what you gotta do. Grow you grow you some 1970s chest hair. <laughs> Look, Burt yeah, exactly. Hamburger yeah. meat going on. Or Austin Powers. <laughs> yeah, I... Anyway, um, yeah. <laughs> we, we probably should get to like some kind of a form formula here or, or uh, structure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but I, I think when it is, as it comes to small talk, I think this is definitely one of the better. Well, me and me and Mike haven't is. talked to each other in over a week, and you know, we we formed a brotherhood. <laughs> you know, we're we're connected in like by the umbilical cord now, and 
It's a bromance. And it's one of those things to where, yeah, it's one thing to message someone online and you say whatever, but, you know, when you, when you actually hear their voice, it, it it's like, like a mother when her, her breasts produce milk by hearing her babies cry. That's what my breasts are doing right now, listening to Mike's voice. So what do you think about that? <laughs> talking talking about mysteries. About and makes, talking about, you know, just knowing all the mysteries we're about to talk about. And I don't know. It's just... You gotta catch up sometimes. Uh, uh, anyway, yeah, um, try to recover from that. Today's <laughs> today's podcast is about Paradise Lost Two Revelations, which is a sequel to the first uh, documentary Paradise Lost: The Child Murders at Robin Hood Hills. Now, this one came out in the 2000s, I believe. I'm looking up the release date right now. It still has that, that, that grainy, that, that like DIY-style like 90s film grain to it, like a lot of episodes of Unsolved Mysteries have. So yeah. that's why it would shock me if that did come out in the 2000s, because it, it, it looks... It came out in 2000. Okay, wow. Yeah, so it came out in 2000... Uh, Joe Berlinger and Bruce Sanofsky, who directed the first film, they direct this as well. And this one is more about Damien Eccles' uh, retrial. He's, he's trying to have a retrial uh, to be able to get off death row because he was set, he was given the death penalty. So he's trying to get a retrial so he won't die, which is pretty, some pretty heavy shit. Um, and even by the end of the film, it's kind of up in the air, but, uh, most people know, you know, the, rev the resolution, everything, but uh, Josh is completely in the dark, so I'm not going to Yes, I've purposely, <laughs> um, avoided looking anything up about this case, because I want to go into all these films completely blind as to what happens next, so I don't know, and if any of you douchebags out there ruin this for me, <laughs> I will find you, and I will kill you. <laughs> Proverbially, with words, not like physically. <laughs> Jesus, I probably can't say shit like that in public or on a public platform. This is entertainment purposes, people. No. You know, you know what the fuck I mean. I'm joking. <laughs> Calm down. He's making a taken reference. That's, That's exactly what, what I'm doing. So get your. He has a particular sense of. He has a particular set of skills. Get your finger off that damn report <laughs> button or that you know flag <laughs> button. Just, just cut. Chill out. So, it focuses on his retrial as well as the aftermath of the documentary and the creation of a group called the Free West Memphis Three Group. So, uh, this is a group that is all about trying to raise money and awareness about the case and trying to get them a new trial and, and trying to free the West Memphis Three. It also follows up with John Mark Byers, who is the father of one of the kids who was murdered uh, in the case, the murder case of, that the West Memphis Three were convicted of uh, murdering, you know, these three little boys in this particular case. Um, if you've seen, if you've heard our last podcast, you know all about the, the West Memphis Three and the, the child murders at Robin But if you Hills. haven't... But, heard the last podcast if, if you haven't heard the last podcast uh 
it concerned there were these three boys who were found in a creek or in like a ditch area and they were mutilated and beaten and there were accusations locally in in West Memphis, Arkansas that it was a satanic killing. It was satanic ritual abuse and slaughter. And there were these three boys, these three teenagers, Damian Eccles, Jesse Miskelly Jr., and uh, Jason Baldwin. And they were outsiders in this community, this tight-knit community in the Deep South. And they were outsiders because they liked to wear black, they loved to listen to Metallica, they were into heavy metal and stuff like that. Uh, the case was not really getting any developments for months. The uh, people in the town were freaking out. So th you had this, uh, the sheriff at the time, inspector, the head inspector, uh, Gary Gitchell, like to call Dr. Phil. It's Dr. Phil looking motherfucker. So this Dr. Phil looking guy, he goes, he's basically trying to find a way to solve this case. And, uh, in a lot of ways, protect his integrity and his and save his chances of being elected in uh, in a political place of power within the town. So there's this trial that happens, and Jesse Miskelly gets uh, coerced into giving this confession of the crime. But there's a lot of evidence that suggests that he was coerced, and so on. And eventually these three boys are convicted of murdering uh, the other three kids because of just hysteria and uh, satanic panic and nothing but circumstantial evidence. So that that's essentially what the plot, basically what the majority of what's going on in the first documentary is about. Which, I mean, you know... Oh, go figure. You mean a small southern town would uh, cast judgment and have biases against kids who wear black and listen to like heavy metal music? No, that doesn't happen. So the sequel, it follows up a few years after the events, uh, the trials for, that were featured in the first film. Like I said, you had the Damien Eccles retrial, and then they follow up with uh, John Mark Byers. Uh, you learn some things about him, some more extra stuff about him and his past. You also learn some things about what happened to his wife. Uh, you learn some new, really great uh, evidence that could really exonerate these three in terms of these bite marks that uh, were apparently not given to the defense for some reason to use in the first trial. And uh, then it also shows how the documentary has created such a buzz and such a, just a, an absolute, I'm trying to think of the right word. I mean, furor or something. I think, I think there's like a certain word for that. I think it's, yeah. <laughs> no, I no, think, it, I know it sounds no. like the German thing, but no, I think it, I think it is. No, 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 no. Oh, Okay. Yeah, so so, it created a, a really big group of people who saw the documentary and just felt like, well, we need to do something about this. This is just, they really felt strongly about the West Memphis Three's innocence. So the documentary follows these people and 
and uh, talks to them and also uh, focuses on their movement and the website that they created and all of this other stuff. So that's the main sort of gist of what's going on in Paradise Lost 2 Revelations. And as before, the structure of this is going to be, you know, Josh and I will give our thoughts on the film first, like what we what we thought of the film in terms of its quality, and then we'll have some talking points that we'll discuss about certain things that were talked about and featured in the documentary. Now, when it comes to my thoughts on Paradise Lost 2 Revelations, I, I remember liking this more the first time I saw it, but after seeing this again... It just really does pale in comparison to the first film. I mean, it's not terrible. It's not a bad movie. It just feels like they didn't have a lot to work with here. They didn't have a lot of stuff to really make the two-hour-long running time feel like it was justified and necessary. So there's a lot of pacing problems for me. So it's not as interesting as the first film was. I felt there's a lot of uh, time that's spent focusing on Mark Byers and the potential that he could be a suspect. But then it's like it's kind of the same. It's it's kind of ironic because the first film was talking about how they're innocent and they're in this town and people are just accusing them of doing stuff and they don't really have the proof of it. And then the same thing is kind of happening here <laughs> with John Mark Byers. But, I mean, I could see why people would think John Mark Byers could be involved in it because of his history of mental illness and other things. But it just seems kind of a sensationalist. Very sensationalist approach. Uh, yeah, I agree. I, I think that this movie... Um, it, I love documentaries. I love uh, movies in the style of this movie. So, so I liked it just for what it was. But, no, I totally agree with what you're saying. The first film had so much material to work with. You had this this case of these three teenagers that were maybe wrongfully or rightfully convicted of these brutal murders of these three young children. And, I mean, just all the meat that you have to work with with something like that. And every single person involved in the case, from the parents of the kids to the parents of the uh, the teenagers who were supposedly uh, convict or supposedly the murderers, everybody participated in the documentary. Even the defense attorneys, um, you know, and all that you, other stuff. Even even the people who were. Yeah, everybody was everybody was willing to come forward and yeah. be interviewed. So yeah, you, you had, you had uh, just a juicy. I mean, if you're into true crime stuff at all, uh, you 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 cannot call yourself a true crime fan until you've seen. Paradise Lost, you know, the first one at least. The second one, however, uh, that yes, I feel like, as you were saying earlier when we were talking about before we started recording, uh, there did seem to be a, a bit of yeah. filler in there. It's like, it's like, yes, this was a very successful documentary. I don't think they went into part two. I don't think the directors went into part two with the thought of, let's cash in on, uh, you know, the first one and, and just pop out a second one. I think they went into it with, hey, there's more information here. More has developed on this story. Uh, people need to know what's going on. But right, did it did it warrant two hours of, of runtime? I don't think so. You know, there's certain scenes in the movie, like when they show Mark Byers uh, with the uh, anchor 
uh, the anchor man, uh, yeah, the, yeah. the guy that's on the scene there, standing in front of the courtroom, and they're trying to get his sound yeah. right for his earpiece. I thought, I thought some, I thought they were going to expose some kind of like weird thing about Mark Byers about how he was saying he's he deaf couldn't in hear one ear or something. Them. Yeah. Yeah, but but he, yeah, I thought they were gonna drop some bombshell, but no, they were just adjusting the sound in his earpiece, and that took up about I don't know seven minutes of the movie just doing that. It, and, it, it uh, also you know, that hurts whole the scene. film. The fact that a lot of the the courtroom stuff, a lot of the other things, they refuse to allow the filmmakers to shoot. Uh, so they, they refuse to allow the filmmakers to shoot inside the courtroom for uh, Damien's retrial. They the the uh, taping of the Lisa show, which I've never even heard of that show. This is like the first time I ever heard of that talk show was on this documentary. They refused to allow them, the filmmakers, to shoot uh, the taping of that, which is crazy because that show never aired. So that particular show apparently never aired, so there's no footage available of that particular show. Um... So yeah, there's quite a few. There's a lot of stuff of they they insert court TV footage and other stuff from the media in the place of stuff that they weren't able to shoot. Unlike the first film was so immersive because you were inside the courtroom. Here you don't really have that same immersion. Also, like I said, I felt there's some sensation sensationalist sort of stuff in regards to John Mark Byers and, you know, his potential status as a, you know, not really potential status, but I mean, his, his status as a suspect and the other sort of, you know, there's like a few other things, but it, I mean, it just felt like, and there was a lot of recapping of stuff that we saw in the first movie, which I felt was kind of unnecessary and felt like they were padding the running time. Um, Cause you're making a sequel to a very, well-known documentary it you know it doesn't really feel like it's necessary to have all this padding and this recap stuff it's like if if season two of making a murderer on netflix and it just had like recap stuff throughout like the first two episodes i think you'd be pretty disappointed with that you'd be like well i already saw all 10 episodes of making a murderer i don't really need all this recaps Stuff the recapping the didn't episodes. bother me. On the other hand, I, 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 I actually, I kind of in- some of it actually was handled really well. I have to be honest. Some of it felt like it was necessary, like when they were talking about the bite marks and the, you know, that kind of stuff. But some of it, I just, uh, and there's other stuff though that they shot, but it wasn't shown in the first film that they showed here. So I, I thought that was that was actually good as well because there were some interviews and stuff with john and and his wife that you didn't really see in uh the first film as well as like a sort of outtake from the uh scene where he's at church and he's talking to the congregation and then and in the film in the first movie paradise lost you don't really get to see this part where he bears his soul and talks about how when he was young he he was not the greatest guy like he stole from his mom he was involved with drugs and he found god and uh through the help of one of his family members and apparently it's helped him a lot that one humanized him a lot for me that particular scene there and it made it i i i I don't know if i said i did kind of sympathize with john i mean because 
he's lost his kid. He lost his he's lost his wife in this film too because there's a revelation of that. And you know he's it's just it's very very emotional. There's a lot of emotions that go on that you see with this particular uh, man in this film. Um, I personally don't think he killed his kid, so that's part. Of, I, I, and he's not perfect. He's he's got some problems, but that's part of what makes him interesting. So I could see why the filmmakers wanted to keep the focus on him. Uh, I'd say the main some like the two main points that were really uh, covered in this this movie that are were not covered in the first movie was a the introduction of the free the West Memphis free uh, free the West Memphis three groups yeah. all like the fan club basically is what I'll call it yeah all the people who rallied together after seeing the first movie. And uh, there's like three or four main people from the Free the West Memphis Three group that they, mm-hmm. they, they focus a lot on in this second documentary. And yeah. they're basically the um, voice of reason in a lot of ways, uh, saying a lot of the stuff that should have been stated in the courtroom in the first trial that wasn't stated. It's almost like when the first movie was made, it put such a spotlight on this witch hunt of, of these three teenage boys that that these people finally band together. And you had people traveling from California, from Ohio, from all over the place, um, uh, the, you know, descending upon this town in Arkansas to be the voice of reason, to be the opposing voice to these three teenagers or devil worshippers. And so there was a lot of focus on this female ki- uh, person, I don't remember her name, and uh, these two males... And they were like the most outspoken voices um, in, yeah. in the movie for and there was in a, favor there was of the West inter- Memphis Three. Yeah. There was an interesting dynamic when you had the the blonde woman who was the head of everything. It was pretty hot. A couple like, of the yeah, <laughs> yeah I got to admit, yeah. And then, and then the couple other uh, guys and and they're outside the courtroom and they're kind of debating with John Mark Byers. I thought it was interesting dynamic in that particular sequence oh and then the second to... the, the the second point that i was going to make that this movie did that the second one didn't do so the first one was they introduced the free the west memphis three kind of group or, or yeah. ad, advocacy group and the second uh-huh. thing that this movie did is it really started it really turned on uh, Mark Byers, the father of one of yeah, the boys who was killed. The movie really started in no uncertain terms. Uh, it really started to strike a bias uh, against uh, Mark Byers, and really started to kind of shine a light on him and be like, "This man." The, the movie painted the father um, of one of the children who was murdered. Because I keep wanting to reiterate, if people are getting lost here on what we're talking about, because Mark Byers, his son Christopher Byers, was one of the little boys who was murdered. Yeah. Mark Byers was one of the only people in the second movie, in the second documentary, he was one of the only parents of these murdered children to actually continue to participate. None of the other... And I thought that that was telling, too. None of the other parents of the murdered boys participated in this second movie. Which yep. I which I thought was really telling because that is the normal reaction of a normal parent. I think is if your kid was murdered, 
sure, you're going to talk about it the first time. You're going to you're going to get your story out there, but then after that, enough's already, you know? You you're going to you're not going to want to keep dragging it out. But see, that's the difference between the other kid's parents and Mark Byers because he did go show up in the second movie. He was all yeah. he was all up in the second movie. He was such an attention whore in the movie. Anytime the cameras were rolling, this guy was doing his song and dance. He was cursing these kids. He was he was saying stuff like, yeah. you know, he was gritting his teeth. He was like, uh-huh. "You kid, you're going to burn in hell for killing my baby. The Bible told me, and that's all I need to go on is you going to you cut you cut my baby's genitals off." And He's going to stomp on your neck in hell, and you're going to want a drop of water, but you ain't going to get none. You better start reading the Bible soon, Damien Eccles, because that's going to be your future. I mean, that's what this guy would say in like yeah. every scene. He was a nut job. I mean, I, I, I hear you. What I, have to be, I have to be honest, though. He, he is, he's pretty, he is definitely a pretty crazy guy, but... It's entertaining. I oh, mean, it's entertaining. He in- yes. He's, he's, he's the most interesting character that, I mean, the West Memphis Three group people, you know, they had, there's some interesting stuff about them, but. Oh, they're, 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 they're just, as they're interesting facts, as, as the, facts as the freak show, you know, the freak show that is Mark Byers. Yeah. My, and, and it, it, it almost goes to the point of uh, exploitive as far as the... That's what I was saying. I think it's sensa- there's a lot of sensationalist stuff, you know, exploitation involved with Mark Byers in this particular... In, uh, in, the, in, in his theatrics, you know, his theatricality, mm-hmm. and, and I'm sure all you listening out there, you have a family member at Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever. Everybody has that one family member who has a flair for the theatrical, a flair for the dramatic... And they have to make everything so, uh, this big production and this big dramatic thing, and everyone just kind of has to roll their eyes at them and put up with it. That That's this guy times ten. I mean... Yeah. Like I said, I feel like I feel like in the first documentary they showed, for instance, one of the boys' names was uh, Michael Moore, and, and uh-huh. it showed Michael Moore's parents, and they were grieving, and they were upset about it, and, you know, they reacted in every way you would expect... And then that was just kind of all you heard from him, and they didn't want to participate in the second documentary. And I'm like, to, to me, that's how a quote-unquote normal parent would grieve. Now, this Mark Byers character, like I said, he steals every scene in this movie. He is so theatrical. He's so uh, fire and brimstone in how he talks. He's so... It, it, it really... Um, like I said, it is really almost to an exploitive point because you're thinking, man, you know these documentary filmmakers are thinking, look at this, 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 you know, pilled out hick from wherever the fuck Arkansas talking about God and hell and how you're going to burn. West Memphis. West Memphis. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Uh, you know, let, let's get as much of this guy on camera as we can. And that's why I say... I, it's really evident in the scene where he goes to uh the site where the boys were found yeah so he revisits the site five years later for the first time and he's like dig he like makes these like little makeshift graves for the three teenagers who are in jail that he believes beyond a shadow of a doubt are responsible for the murder of his boy so he makes three graves and he pours like sawdust or some shit in these little graves and he's li- yeah. and he's lighting them on fire, and he, the whole time, man, his whole do- his whole like monologue in that section, man, he's just like, 
you know, I, I can't even... He's unhinged. I can't even do it justice, you know, he's like... He's totally unhinged. He's like, uh, you know, I, I I almost have to get the audio from, from the movie and, and intersperse it in this episode. I, I, I feel like I've got to do that to really give you guys a picture of, of who we're talking about here with this guy. He butchered my babies out here. I swore I'd stand at your grave and cuss it. Well, I'm doing it a little bit early. I'm gonna bury you three bastards right here and send you to hell. This crime scene tape, I come off what they stretched in front of me when they found my babies out here. Wouldn't let me by. I thought it was just fitting to bring it back to your memorial fund. Jesse, you got your pliers. That's your head marker, you animal. Damien. Jason, there's yours. You want to worship the devil? Seem, I'm going to give you a farewell party. Now we're going to have some fun. I'm gonna try to help send you on your way. You done got all my blessings, which aren't none. What do you think? You ready to die? Fire for fire. Death for death. Live through this fire, you animal. What well, ain't hot enough for you? This is the ditch that you killed him in. Do you remember? You want to eat my baby's testicles? Burn, you son of a bitch. Burn. Burn. Go to hell. Burn. Can you remember screaming and hearing them holler? Stump on your grave, a stump on your grave, a stump on your grave. Burn and go to hell. Burn like you deserve to burn. So everybody notices this about this guy, Mark Byers. Everybody in the movie, and it's a documentary, so none of this is scripted. So like everybody is like, commenting on the fact especially the advocacy group for the west memphis three everybody's commenting on how this guy's like two personalities three personalities four personalities this guy is is he 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 switches on a different personality when the camera gets turned on you know it's like he's play acting is what uh i think either Uh damien or uh, jason one of the kids locked up they they said about about mark byers is just he's that's just how he's coming across to everybody so no. when you're when you're put into that situation, it kind of becomes this thing to where it's like, well, what what is all what is underneath all this theatricality? Because, you know, in my opinion, anybody out there who 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 acts that way in real life in their day, they're covering up something. They're hiding 
some I, pain. I don't think he's hiding. I think he's, I mean, he might be hiding some pain, like, uh, earlier in his life. Like, he actually talks about how he was abused and things like that when he was younger. Uh, so, that might be part of what he's trying to hide with theatrics and all of that and trying to show how he's this tough guy and all of that and so on. I don't think he's hiding the fact that he killed anybody, uh, especially at least not his, his son. But but I I think it's just one of those. I think he's mentally ill. I, I really think that he's legitimately mentally ill. And when you hear the interviews with the lie detector guy, stuff is revealed that that is the case. He doesn't tell him specifically what it is, what the illnesses are. But he says he's you know multiple different you know mental illnesses and and stuff like that. And he's taking all these antidepressants and things like that. So. Yeah, there's a scene in the movie where he goes to see, uh, he goes to take a lie detector test because uh, all these allegations against him. Because at this point, it, it starts going beyond just the advocacy group who is yeah. accusing him of these things. Uh, just people the in The defense ta- in uh, Eccles' retrial is using buyers as a potential suspect. Well, it's just just people in town are starting to come up to Mark Byers and accuse him of uh of of, of murdering well, the kids. Well, he's not helping with some of the other things and we'll talk about this later cuz I want to save some stuff for our just actual, you know, structured discussion. But um yeah, it, it, it's there's 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 some questions with the so with Mark Byers. But. I I actually have right here. I, I brought up the scene in the movie uh, of about when he's in the lie detector room with the guy, uh, yeah. the the lie detector guy. I'm sorry. There's probably a fancy word for lie detector guy, but that's all I know him as is <laughs> lie detector guy. Uh, he asked him what kind of medications he's taken. Uh, these were all the medications that uh, Mark Byers was on at the time: Xanax, which is an anti-anxiety, Zoloft. Which is an antidepressant, Senequan, Senequan, no idea what that is, Haldol, don't know what that is, and Depakote. Um, and Depakote is uh, for bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. So yep. might as well look what what these other things are. What the fuck's Haldol? Just this just gives you kind of a. Um, pro- I know about Zoloft because I used to take that. Okay, Haldol is an antipsychotic. Now let's see Haldol. what Senequan is. Senequan. Uh, nerve pain medication, antidepressant. So, dude, this guy, Mark Byers, is on. He has a brain tumor too. He's on a brain. He has a brain tumor, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know what all this other shit, how that would help with a brain tumor, but this guy is on Xanax, which is an anti-anxiety, Zoloft, which is antidepressant, Senequan, which is another antidepressant and nerve medicate, nerve pain medication, or aka painkiller, Haldol, which is an antipsychotic, and Depakote, which is like anti-bipolar. So this guy's on five different brain medications. Yeah. At this point, you know, that that's that itself is uh, I mean, how can the, I don't understand how the human body can take all that uh, chemical manipulation mm-hmm. and, and and you can still function correctly. Yeah, I mean, that is that is a definitely a uh, question that's worth asking. It's one of those things that 
the human body is amazing. It can handle a lot of things. But yeah, it, it's one of those that it is. It does make you pause because it has all these different medicines as Dubby's taking. Um, the the lie detector test, though, I, I don't really think that's necessarily proof that he's you know of anybody's innocence because they can easily be faked. Plus, he was on all these medicine, all these pills. So, who really knows? I still don't think he's guilty because I don't. There really isn't enough evidence except a lot of hearsay. Uh, the, the knife thing, but they already threw that out, so, um, anyway, we'll never really, overall the film I thought was okay, but it did bring out a lot of, you know, the really awesome things that I really liked about the first film, the direction, the cinematography, the gritty, you know, look to all the, the, the shots, you know, that were shot in the film, the, the shot, the, it was really well shot when he when Byers revisited you know the scene of the crime. That was a very well put together sequence, and uh, Metallica. Metallica allowed their music to be used in the film, like they did in the first movie. And this time, there's even more Metallica music because in the first film, it was just basically kind of one song. It was Sanitarium. That was like Sanitarium. the only song. And but it's a great song. One, <laughs> I mean... It is a great song, and it fit the West Memphis Three perfectly. This. The sequel has multiple other Metallica songs in it. Um, yeah, it's almost as though Metallica uh, was like, uh, Hey, we got some new material. We need you to promote in this new movie. It's the only way we'll let you use our songs. If you use audio from our new CD, it's called Load. <laughs> Like, it's seriously like they're trying to promote, like, okay, we got some, uh, because they played some shit from, like, their new, at the time, their their newest album, which was, I think it was uh, Reload or something. Reload. Uh, yeah, I Not heard. Load. I heard. <laughs> <laughs> download. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Take, no, you said load, but yeah, it could be download. Well, they, that, that, you know, download. In the 90s, <laughs> they came out with load and then reload. Uh, that, those were their. And then download. That was the third one. Oh, yeah. That was the unofficial. <laughs> that was the unofficial one that all the fans did of their songs. But um, yeah, they were playing a lot of their newer stuff in that in that movie. So it was it was kind of. Uh, I like nothing else matters being used, especially when uh, one of them, I think the mother of Jason Baldwin, she was talking to how it's like my theme. My, my theme song, you know, it's my song for my life, you know, nothing else matters right? except, you know, getting my son out of jail. The song I attempted to play uh, last podcast, Mike doesn't know about it. Mike, oh. Mike, did you hear the song I wrote about you, by the way, about uh, you? Yeah, I did. Yeah, about <laughs> me beating my meat. Yeah, yeah. How'd, you, uh-huh. how'd you feel about that? It made me laugh. All right, good. I, I, know, it, I know there's no ill will you know behind it so (laughs) but yeah overall the documentary it's okay i think it's a couple steps down for the first film because it's not as interesting there isn't as much meat on the bone uh but it 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 shows some interest it, it has some interesting things in it about social media and and the impact of it and and other things like that and that leads into the uh talking points about the documentary We've mentioned a few of the stuff that I want to talk about, but there's a few other things. The aftermath of Paradise Lost, the creation of the Free the West Memphis Three movement. Uh, we mentioned that, we pretty much talked about the creation of the West Memphis Three movement already, as well as kind of the aftermath. But I do find it inter- fascinating that the documentary, even back then, was so compelling. 
that it made these people from all these other different states just get so compelled by the documentary to create a movement and fly out to the courthouse and do all this other stuff and create a website and so on. And it, it is kind of it's fun to see you know a two thousand website you know this is this is two thousand okay you look at the website you know now you know it's a very it's top of the line for back then but like definitely not anywhere near compared to a top of the line website in twenty seventeen but it, of course it would never be anyway because it's two thousand but it's fun to look back it's funny because like see, you know you think two thousand starts the new millennium and and all that other kind of stuff but two the year two thousand was almost twenty fucking years ago yeah. So I mean, and it was cool that they were the, the whole sort of uh, phone chat thing. They had this live chat, and nowadays, you know, that's something that's people you know do all the time. YouTube has it, Twitch has it, all this other stuff has it. But like that was kind of a something you didn't see all the time. They were in the a live chat, chat room, thing. and there was like fifteen people. Like there's only like fifteen people in the chat room, and that was a big deal back then. At fifteen people in the chat room. So I mean that that was kind of uh, some in- interesting stuff there, the social media aspect of it, and how they were these people who uh, I think one of the main uh, women behind the group or is she worked on uh, advertising for the documentary, and so she got to see it before a lot of other people did, and it was she was just blown away by it, and so then she sent it to other people who worked with her, and they spread it, and then. Uh, then created this sort of mini movement and then they decided to get the attention of other people they got a spot on the Lisa talk show which you look at the intro for that show you're like wow that is like that is your typical uh, talk show of that particular era (laughs) yeah Lisa uh, I'm I'm like looking it up right now um it uh, premiered on June 14th, 1993 as John and Lisa from Hollywood. It was hosted by John Tesh and Lisa Gibbons. Blah, oh, blah, John blah. Tesh. That um, guy. Then, then um, he left, and in 94, it was retitled as Lisa. And um, the original format centered on celebrity news and interviews, but once Tesh left, it became more of a traditional television talk show. So, like your Montel Williams, your Sally Jesse Raphael, yeah. you know, shit like that. You know, Oprah, just Oprah, yeah, Donahue. Uh, it just looked very generic. The intro for Lisa, it almost looked like a parody <laughs> of you know the the talk show that was popular around the time. Yeah, so, and, and and the whole like they they were gonna have like the the uh, m- like main people from the uh, West Memphis Three Advocacy Group, uh, Advocacy Group and the uh, defense attorney for the uh, for Damien to and the parents and the parents to come on this this generic. And apparently, show. I also they were saying that John Mark Byers was also on it too. Okay. So they had him on the show, you know, and uh, then at the end of the documentary, we learned for whatever reason, that episode never aired. Like I said earlier, yeah, it's one of those things I just, I, I, I'd like to know the reason. And, and Because all we hear about this episode from what happened is from one of the advocates of the West Memphis Three group, you know, Free the West Memphis Three. And she's talking about how, you know, people were at first kind of, you know... 
not really sure for sure on things. And then when the mothers came on and they told their side of the story and everything, I, I felt like people were getting angry, you know. And she, she seemed to be kind of... I would definitely have to say she was pretty uh, zealous, you know, kind of a, a kind of a zealot kind of thing. Like she was really getting off on the publicity and being the creator, the head of this whole movement. That's the vibe I kind of got from her. Yeah, she definitely was a follower of Damien Eccles. I almost feel like there might have been a uh, a romantic uh, future for them if he ever got out of jail. Uh, yeah. because, you know, they, she brought up a picture of him online. She's like, oh, doesn't he look good in this picture, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It's that another. And, um, yeah, you know, I mean, like when you have something that goes like so mainstream like that, like in a major movie on uh, HBO, you know, people find out who you are and, and it brings brings stuff like that out. Much like how Mike can't go to Starbucks now and get a cup of coffee without being hounded by um, middle-aged true crime listeners, you know? <laughs> Because that's he's... not true. That's that's fake news. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, I could see, I could see that with her totally. Um, she had really pretty eyes. Yeah, I could swim in those eyes for days. Yeah. I thought it was crazy too. They showed like the Wiccan, the the Wicca, you know, the people who are Wiccans. They showed that briefly, and they yeah. were trying to raise money for Damien. And they were all talking how they were inspired by Damien because because you know, he yeah he he brought up the fact that he was Wiccan on the stand and he didn't yeah. have to do that but he chose yeah. to do it anyway so he's kind of standing up for his quote unquote religion and then he th- goes in later and he says I'm not he's not even Wiccan anymore like he's kind of into the Catholic religion but then kn- he that but then he kind of contradicts that too and he's like well no I'm not really a part of any particular religion. You know, I just don't choose to do that, you know. That that was interesting. I almost um, feel like the Wiccan thing the was The fan little... club thing. Like, yeah. the whole thing where they were worried that, like, everyone's going to show up wearing black and these goths are going to show up to the courtroom. <laughs> and, like, it's going to, like, just solidify the fact that Damien has some cult. Yeah, I almost feel like the Wiccan thing was a fad, almost, yeah. in, the no- in the 90s. Because, like, yeah. I, I remember... The craft... The craft probably had a huge yeah. uh, spike in, in Wiccans after I remember that movie came out. Being in fifth grade and uh two of my best friends were females. Um I've always gotten along better with females for some reason. Cause you're a beta male. You're not a man <laughs> Yeah, whatever. Asshole. Damn. Sorry. Were I, they really that angry with you know at you? Were they you're just, not a man. Were they yelling at you like full blast, like right in your face, and just like yeah. you're not a man? Never made it as a wise man. Yeah, they, yeah, exactly. Like uh, you know, I, I, I don't know, but you're anyway, a mama's boy. <laughs> you sissy. <laughs> um, but now these chicks, uh, my two best friends in fifth grade, they were both quote unquote Wiccans, and and you know, being very closed minded and, and ignorant as as most fifth graders are, uh, I just I thought it was devil devil worship and witchcraft and shit it's not yeah well now i know that but at the time i I didn't know like like i was proselytized by my parents to to believe that anything that wasn't of god was of the devil (laughs) 
So yeah, yeah, I know better now, but I mean, like, I don't, I don't find the need for any kind of religion in my day to day life. Really, uh, just I, I don't either. I, my parents have have recently got into. I think it's because my stepdad. You know, if that helps him, you know, kind of sort some things out in his life. You know, I, I have no issue with that. It, it's just a kind of. I, I love my stepdad, but it's kind of getting kind of annoying when we're watching movies because he'll be like. Anytime someone says, oh, my God, or any of this other stuff, he's kind of commenting about it and being all upset about it. And I'm, and I'm just like, uh, I don't really want, I don't need to hear that, you know, to be perfectly honest. No offense. It's like, just just watch the movie. <laughs> uh, it makes it uncomfortable because, like, it is. you feel like you have to, like, walk on eggshells around exactly. the person now. And, yeah. and, and I'm not used to that with him, so it's something I'm, I'm getting used to. And, and it's probably a phase, honestly, because my roommate, well, the, I don't have a roommate now, but the guy I used to live with, he dated this girl who was really, really super uber Christian. Yeah. And so he, like, modified his behavior, and he started becoming that way, too. And he, like, stopped swearing, and he stopped, like, drinking, and basically changed his entire personality to get some pussy. And I know that's exactly <laughs> what he was doing. And it, and, and I'll, I'll be damned, man. As soon as they broke up, he was like, fuck this shit, dude. Let's go get drunk. I'm fucking sick of this shit. <laughs> but, like, the whole time he was with her, he was fucking insufferable. Yeah. Like, you, you couldn't, like, he was like... Uh, Anytime I'd make, like, a joke or anything, he'd just kind of be like, huh, yeah, man, you know, like, he'd just kind of laugh it off, like, you know, that's not really, uh, you know, that's not really me anymore, man. It's like, yes, it, it is you. This is not you. <laughs> what you're being right now is not you. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I, you know, if you believe in God or, you know, Christianity or any of these other religions, you know, more power to you if it helps you uh, answer the questions that life brings you and, and brings you safety and, and security and makes you feel good about yourself that's that's great i don't have any issue with that it's when people try to like force upon you or or make you uncomfortable because they're just being like really because they're trying to make you like adopt to, to what their thought process is and i'm like no my thought process is not like that so i don't really need to be reminded of how uncomfortable you are of somebody saying, oh, my God. I mean, it's like... Well, even if they like, don't, like, verbally say anything, just being around people who are super, like, bathed in the wool, died of a in the wool. bummer, because you, you aren't like that, and so every time you, like, kind of be yourself, like, it kind of feels like you you're being judged. You feel like, yeah, you feel judged. like you're, like, hurt. Yeah. Well, you feel like you're, like, you're, you're, you're like, like, pouring, like, like, acid on them or something like like yeah i feel uncomfortable not everyone's being around. like that i'm gonna say that right here because there are a lot of people i know that believe and are totally cool with all kinds of stuff and you know they don't make a big deal about any of this you know about swearing or oh my god or what any of that or geez you know yeah i just remember i grew up with that like i grew up around a yeah. bunch of kids who were like the popular kids but it was a christian school so they were all like super christianly and you know, if I went around there saying fuck and smoking cigarettes and stuff, it's like they would so qu the, the quiet judgment and exclusion was what would happen. Yeah, they wouldn't say anything to your face, but they would just that's exclude almost worse. You. Like they, you know, Bruh, they, it is worse. It is yeah, worse. They exclude you from hangouts. They'd exclude you from truly being a part of their group. 
and you were just always kind of, you know, you you didn't fit the mold. So, but it's so funny because like every single one of these kids now are doing exactly what I do because they realize that they could loosen up their anuses a little bit and they don't have to be so uptight about everything. And so now they're pretty much all living how I am, if not worse. And it's just like, man, how come I could figure that out at a young age that you don't have to be that way? And it took them like 20 years, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, I I, I look at something like Christianity and whatever and the Bible. And it's like it's it's type of stuff is like, don't be an asshole, really. (laughs) You know, in a a more uh, less eloquent way. But yeah, don't be a dick. That's all these rules and stuff like respect other people. Don't murder people. Don't steal shit, you know? The kind of stuff that's kind of self-explanatory to me personally. Like I've already learned all that kind of stuff. I, I don't need to. I don't need a, a centuries-old book to really hammer home the point that oh, I shouldn't be a, a horrible person. <laughs> yeah, I know that already. But anyway, but what's kind of crazy was people like Mark Byers, who they believe in the Christian. They go to church and they're all like singing gospel and and they're all you know praising the lord and all of this and then you know they have this kind of side to them that's completely against all of these uh commandments and stuff that they hold so dear um and uh john mark byer that ties into the next uh sort of talking point mark byers himself you know he the the documentary reveals a lot of his sordid past it talks about you know how he was might have been abused when he was younger, how he was uh, actually had done some drugs and things like that, and uh, he doesn't say he was a heavy drug user, but he had you know experimented with things like marijuana and cocaine and, and pills and things like that. But then again, he probably knows that all this shit's being recorded at this point, and it wouldn't exactly. be in his best interest to be like, "Oh yeah, yeah. I, I had a really bad cocaine problem," you know. But then they show they show a footage from the news where when he and his wife were still together and she was still alive, and you know they were getting kicked out of their home like they stole money stole stuff like from some other people's house yeah that's Uh, a big that's a big bombshell also that this movie drops is that these people were definitely uh not above reproach themselves no it goes into the various things that they ended up doing you know and people in the neighborhood were like freaked out by them one of the neighbors like filed a, a maybe a restraining order or actually filed charges against Mark for abusing his kid, which Mark played off as, "Oh, I was just you know I just lightly tapped him." With- I just lightly tapped him on the butt with the with the the end of a fly swatter. You know, I was just uh, told him that he he you know needed to uh, go home because he had go been, home. He had been bad or some shit like that. He, yeah, because he, 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 he's been a bad boy. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's it was weird. Like when I was watching the documentary, and you're like, like it. It's revealed that yeah, uh, you know, because it doesn't really say it doesn't really go right out and tell you exactly all the stuff that Mark had been through since the first movie. But all we know yeah. is now Mark's by himself and he's living in an apartment, like a one-bedroom apartment yeah. by himself. And it's like, whoa, what what happened to your wife? What happened to, why aren't you living in the same place? So that, uh-huh. that instantly kind of starts 
putting your head in more of a place of like, okay, there's something fishy going on here. Yeah, you know. And then and then you hear about his wife, and that is sad. I have to I have to be honest. I mean, I I don't. I mean, she said some pretty mean and nasty things in the documentary, <clears throat> but she was also grieving and apparent and from the re- stuff that was revealed here, she could have been abusing drugs. So, because apparently his wife had a long history of substance abuse. She was a heroin addict, even when he met her. And uh, there were people who were warning her, saying, you know, that even doctors like, you know, you should just divorce her. Because the success rate of people who are heroin addicts getting off of it is is not very good at all. And then her death is, the circumstances of her death are kind of mysterious. She had these prescription drugs in her system, but then she had these other drugs that they didn't reveal. And I'm like, was it heroin? Like, I mean, if she was a heroin addict, that, you know, and then she lost her kid. I could easily see that being some kind of relapse. And what's really sad is when you see an interview from 1994, when she was still alive, and she's talking about she found this journal of her kid. And and the journal says, I love you, I love my mommy. And and you she's showing real emotion there. And I, I couldn't help but honestly feel you know, a lot of sympathy for her. You know, feel sad. Because, you know, that's that's a very awful thing for any parent to have to deal with and I can't even imagine what she was feeling at that point in time. So her being a former addict just makes things even worse because having a loss like that will just amplify the need for the drug. Right, absolutely. I know I've known heroin addicts, and I mean it. it the smallest thing can make them relapse. Just being bored can make somebody relapse. You know, just sitting around yeah. and having too much time to think can make someone relapse. So, yeah. I mean, God only knows so, something like this. I think I think it helped uh, a lot in my in my view of her to show the scenes that they did in this documentary because it, it humanized her. Because in the, in the documentary, it seemed I just showed her and her stage of grief and just saying all these mean and nasty things. And it didn't really show, like, the the part of her that you can relate to that isn't some mean, vindictive bitch, to be perfectly honest. Like, that's really how she appeared to me in in the first film. Um, the other bombshell was the stuff that was mentioned about uh, uh, Mark's son, how he was having problems in school, he was having issues, uh, behavior issues, he was, like, playing with his own excrement, he was, uh, you know, getting in fights, um, in school, even before he was killed. So th- that was a, a pretty big bombshell, too, that showed that there was something going on in, in, in uh, the relationship he had with his parents, too. And if, if his mom was still abusing drugs and, and his dad was doing stuff, too, and, and then also, uh, you know, abusing him, I mean, th- that's, that's pretty messed up. And we don't really know for sure if that's really the case, but it seems like there's something to that. I mean, if a kid's playing with his own excrement, a kid's doing this other stuff, you know, he's having these behavioral problems, the doctor prescribes him some Ritalin, and he isn't getting any better, and there were people who were, you know, some of the, you know, I think it was, like, the defense attorney, Dan Stidham, and, and like, this other guy, 
and they were like putting kind of you know putting stuff in between the lines you know filling in the blank it was like well if he was at Ritalin and he, the kid didn't get any better you know Ritalin on adults is supposedly to have the same kind of effects as speed so there's a possibility that he didn't he wasn't getting his his, his dose he wasn't getting the Ritalin Which is definitely a bombshell, I thought. It was one of those, whoa, okay, there's a lot more to this whole sort of uh, family dynamic between, the, you know, the Byers family that none of, nobody knew until this documentary. Makes me, now, makes me wonder if they knew all that stuff in part one or if, if the producers themselves found out about all this stuff for yeah. part two. Yeah, maybe. I, I don't know for sure. But either way, I'm, I'm actually glad that they revealed that because it actually does put a little more things in perspective um also there was this it showed mark there's the scene where mark is is hanging out with his friends like that one stood out to me because it was like well this is probably also why he's so theatrical his friends are the exact same way yeah god his friends reminded me of my dad and and my dad's friends yeah just god it just felt like i was in a li- in the living family room family reunion. Yeah, yeah. it's crazy to think. It's crazy to think that I come from that, but I I, I straight up yeah. I do. I straight up do. It's just awkward for you, right? It is because I can't relate to that. You know, I grew up around it, but I can't relate to that shit. I don't know. I guess my Yankee mother, the good old boy, the good old boy stuff. Yeah, right? like my Yankee mother like tainted the the Southern waters or whatever. Because I am not. I, I just can't. I can't. I don't get people who are like that. We're like, yeah, you know, when 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 you know, I was at a bar. You know, I, there there were people who were talking things about you, saying that you know that Mark Byers, you know, he he killed those boys, and you know, I've gotten a, a, a bunch a couple fights, you know, over that. And then he's talking about you know, there's a guy who's talking about you know talking shit about you in in a bar and and I I beat his ass. I'm just like why would anybody like what what is up with these people? Like what is this like the chivalry for their buddies? You know, their drinking buddies or whatever. I don't fucking get it. I really don't. Hey, you better you better gonna... shut your mouth over there. I don't take kindly to people who be running their mouth about Mark. You understand me, you son of a bitch? <laughs> I kill you. I kill you. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's 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 al- it's definitely alcohol fueled. It's definitely people of a lower education level, lower income class, income and uh, class, income class. God damn, maybe I'm of a lower education <laughs> level. I'm starting to think maybe I fit right in with these people. I, I shouldn't be so judgmental. <laughs> Hearing me try to talk just then, jeez. But yeah, I mean that's that's the mentality out here, you know. I mean if if that I mean that's that's kind of how it is too, you know. Like if I could totally like someone like my cousin or something, you know, he's yeah. very redneck like that. Like he's gotten in a bunch of bar fights and shit. I'll kick your ass, you know, kind of crap. And it's that whole alpha male, you know, ignorant like caveman mentality shit going on. Like I just I'm not I can't, I don't dig it, you know. I don't either. Like I, I just I don't I I love you know I'm really I love being around my friends and there are a lot of my friends that I, I actually look at as you know brothers. I don't really I'm an only child and a lot of my my friends my really close friends I look at as as, as family. But I'm not gonna like get in bar fights because some guy's talking shit. Like what's the point? Like 
I'm gonna get my ass kicked? Well, Why? I mean, you know, you can just have a fucking lively debate. You don't gotta bring fists into it, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's what I don't understand, is, like, when you bring physical violence into it, you know? You just be like, well, fuck you, asshole. You don't know the fuck you're talking about, you know? And then that's that's the end of it, you know? I mean, I don't yeah. know. If you don't like it, fucking leave the situation. Because, I mean, it's not like if you do, quote-unquote, kick someone's ass, it's not like there's not consequences for that. I mean, fucking... Co- Cops show up and all the paperwork's filed and you might go to jail. Yeah. I mean, it's not, uh, you know. No, it's not worth it. And then and then you also hear about, speaking of fights, like Byers has like conflicting uh, reasons why he lost his teeth. He's all like, well, I lost my teeth, you know, in a fight, you know. I, I had all these fights, you know, over everything and... and and I was not in the right mindset and all of that. And then he's going and saying I had him removed. And then he's taught that by the by the uh, by the dentist. And then he's going and talking about how some medicine he was taking him had him rot and fall out of his mouth. And then and then you see like evidence is provided that the, the medicine he was taking had there's no side effects, no no side effects of of periodontal disease or decay so and this yeah, and this so was they, all important having in regards to the, the the bite mark that was found on one of the boys bodies yeah they were which was a grill that was the probably one of the biggest bombshells ever dropped in this documentary right because there was apparently images and they show these images like big up front like giant blown up photos they're pretty rough to look at yeah dead kid face of, of the of the of the the boy who's who's dead and uh, the bite mark on his on his face. Now, of also there was also like some stuff they followed up with Gary Gitchell, Doctor Phil, Doctor Phil's brother, <laughs> and he's still all like, you know, I, I still believe you know that that we we got the right uh, people for for uh, the, the the crime. And I'm like, shit, you don't know shit, Gary Gitchell. <laughs> Get off my TV. I saw enough of you already in the last documentary. <laughs> Thankfully, there's only a little bit of, of Gary Gitchell, but even a little bit is enough to piss me off. <laughs> yeah, he's just... He, a he's, little bit he's, is just too much. He's just your... He's that... He is your classic crooked cop. Like, he's got that classic crooked cop look to him. Just the bald head with the cul-de-sac haircut, you know, hair around the side and just the cop mustache and, uh, just has that classic, like, oh, just plant some cocaine on him and we'll, uh, we'll call it a night, boys. If you tell anybody about this, then uh, I'll deny it and I'll make sure your ass is taken off the force, you know, kind of thing. Like, he just, classic crooked cop like, look to him. The way he acts, like, he's just so aloof, aloof, aloof and cocky about the whole thing. Yeah. And the judge, also the same judge, ended up uh, trying uh, Damien in the retrial, and he didn't believe it was a bite mark. He thought it was just a belt buckle, because that's what the def- the prosecution was saying. And the, the defense guy and the guy he had with him was really made a great point. He's like, well, the picture is in 2D. You know, if you actually saw the body, the, the, it, it would clearly look like a bite mark it wouldn't be a belt buckle because of the way that the the human the body would be structured right but yeah that was that was the 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 bombshell that there was a bite mark on uh, one of the boys faces that was uh, missed by the 
the uh, coroner and apparently missed by the, and then the defense wasn't able to get access to it. And that could have, that could have changed a lot of people's minds, maybe. But even then, I don't know. I mean, it was, you had a trot, a jury that was compromised from people from that community. They probably already had their mind made up before, you know, they even got into the courtroom. But anyway, the bite mark, there was stuff, John, Mark, you know, Mark Byers, you know, the, the advocates for the West Memphis three were trying to get him to maybe do a teeth, you know, a teeth, uh, mold or something like that to see if his, his but he doesn't have any teeth. And, uh, so now there's that kind of, they're also talking about in the documentary, the, just the, uh, importance of, uh, bite marks. They're just as good, if not better than fingerprint evidence. And a lot yeah. of times, uh, like if somebody's in jail and they hear that there might be new evidence of bite marks, they'll go to the they'll go to the uh, jailhouse uh, dentist and get those teeth removed because yep. they know that the bite marks are mm-hmm. very crucial evidence. So hey, isn't that funny? Mark Byers has no teeth. And he said that he got them removed before the boys died. But then the documentary says, according to the dentist who removed the teeth, it happened four years after the fact. Exactly. And then he's given yeah. all these mixed stories about how he actually lost the teeth. So it's uh, it's 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 suspicious. It's it does suspicious. it does bring some suspicion. I don't think it's a total like point blank indicator of guilt, but it does bring suspicion. If they just focus on that. I could see that. That wouldn't be as sensationalist to me because it would actually kind of make sense. Um, but some of the other stuff definitely feels like they're just milking it. <laughs> you know, they're milking, you know, this crazy guy for all he's worth. Um, and he's up for it, so. But yeah, the the Eccles, it was a retrial for Damien. And uh, the other three, the other two aren't really in this that much. They're kind of, they're really, honestly, afterthoughts. Like, there's some interviews with them, uh, but Jesse isn't in the film that much at all. Uh, Jason, he he has a rebuttal to the statement he made that some people thought was evidence that he was involved with the crime because he was saying things like he didn't know what to say to the victim's parents. Yeah. And he actually delivers an answer the kind of you would expect, you know. Um, Damien, I, I like the one he actually does uh, explain uh, his statement at the end of the first film about the boogeyman. I thought that was good that he explained that because I remember talk, like when we did the episode yeah. initially, I was like, man, that really rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah, but I, I saw it exactly how he was intending. Like I, He was kidding and, I, and that's that's how i interpreted it and then he explained it some more and then you know made it more clear to people who might not have really gotten it um and the result of the trial he did not get it was denied his his uh request for another trial was denied because the judge the same judge who convicted him he said i didn't believe it was a belt buckle and uh, then there was like, you know, the impact of social media and the media and all that other stuff. But really, I want to end the, this discussion on, on the last few scenes that he had Mark Byers and he's in his apartment. And he's sitting down and he's got this set player 
and he's talking about this song that he had made for like 45 bucks. And the the vocals are pretty good, but I'm like, is that really him? Because like he's singing along with it, and it's terrible. He's like lip syncing. Yeah, yeah, he's kind of lip syncing, but then he starts actually singing, and it's off key, and it's absolutely horrible. So I'm like, did he really sing that, or did he have somebody else sing it? Um, regardless, is actually not that bad in terms of the vocals for that song. He probably, like a cup he, of tea. he probably had T Pain produce it and just auto tune it. <laughs> it's totally tuned. But really, the reason why uh, this is really noteworthy is not because it's just a bizarre scene of him lip syncing to some song he paid for. It's the the way you get just this boom, like he. He's, he sings the song, and then the freeze frame, and then this text crawls on the bottom that says he was arrested for selling drugs to undercover police officers and is, is could be serving up to eight years in prison. Not, he was arrested, and he's in jail. I read that it wasn't could be. I read that he was. Oh, he was, actually, not could be. Yeah, yeah. well, he's an eight. Yeah, going to be released in 2000. For selling drugs, so that definitely does put a paint doesn't paint a very pretty picture for for John Mark Byers. And then you have uh, the text that says that Damien, if there is no new trial, he could die. So that that's the that's the cliffhanger for you. The death penalty. Yeah. Yeah, so it definitely did leave you on a cliffhanger, which just uh, fucking kills me because, like, I don't know, you know, like, I have no idea what happens after any of this stuff. So for me, I'm just like, oh, my goodness, like, this is uh, this is this is just this is too much, too much for me to deal with. (laughs) But, yeah, overall, it was okay. Um, they're, they're, those are the main talking points I wanted to talk about because I thought the, those are the main ones that were worth discussing today. Yeah, so that that is uh, this month's installment of uh, the Paradise Lost saga. Uh, now we'll, we're going to be moving on to some news of the bazaar. Uh, this is bizarre news, people, essentially. Um, so the first article we got here, let me... Make sure me and Mike are on the same page here with our articles. Uh, I guess the first one I sent you. Vegan? Yeah, there we go. Okay, so the first article we got is uh, Vegan Cafe Patrons Creeped Out by Naked Babies Running Wild. This is... uh, It's in Memphis. Oh, wow. West Memphis is no relation to Memphis, but, you know, they're still in Memphis. (laughs) I was walking in Memphis. Um... So the internet is full of reports of children going ham in restaurants. Ham, for those of you... Hard as a motherfucker. There you go. Uh, But in most (laughs) cases, the rowdy kids belong to the customers, not the proprietors. However, that's why Imagine Vegan Cafe in Memphis, Tennessee, that is kind of coincidental, is attracting so much much attention on social media right now. Afternoon attention on social media. (laughs) Earlier this week, a customer wrote a review of this small restaurant that mentions a naked baby running around the dining room showing off its butthole. (laughs) They have butthole in quotes. (laughs) To make matters worse, a proprietor... Showing off its butthole. Yeah, quote-unquote butthole. Uh, (laughs) 
He showed off his butthole. <laughs> uh, to make matters worse, the proprietors wrote a series of angry responses on their Facebook page before deciding to completely okay. delete the account. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read that, because this kind of reminds me of some of the comments you got recently. Yeah. Here, like on your, on your video. Here's the Google Plus review that got the ball rolling. On the real, I eat, I eat here all the time. I, I still probably will because I like to go out and there are a few options available to me. But y'all listen. During my visit, a bare butt naked baby was running around. It stood up on the table with its black, it, you know, with its black, they're so dirty feet, and bent over to show me its butthole. <laughs> I wish I was exaggerating. It, it's like, while I'm eating, and it's the owner's kids. And an older kid came over and started, like, yodeling and staring at me during my meal. It was so uncomfortable. Like, I get it. It's a family establishment, and kids do weird things. But a naked baby was running around for, like, 15 minutes while all the workers started. And and I think you meant to say stared. While all the workers started and were just standing to the side talking and laughing over it. As for my food... I could heat up a tofurkey sausage in just as well and under half the time. Now, I like how you gave Chelsea Bartley, who wrote that that Google Plus review, uh, I like how you gave her a redneck accent and made her sound kind of dumb, yet she's at a vegan restaurant, so it's like... Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a dumb redneck, but I do, uh, I do believe that violence uh, towards animals is wrong, and uh, I want a more healthier well, and I mean, smarter read solution. That. I mean, oh, I know, I know, <laughs> I know. If, so, if, I, if it wasn't, if the punctuation wasn't as bad as it was there, and then the he all and the other thing, I pro- I probably wouldn't have, you know, read it like that. But it also made it more fun. So. um... So Chelsea Bartley wrote that, um, and then there's been like these comments about it or whatever. Um, and Imagine Vegan Cafe responded, and they said, uh, "I'm uh, okay." So first of all, someone named Wes Youngblood responds saying, "I'm certainly not going to touch someone's naked baby. Too much of a liability." Geez, you just recommended randos grabbing your naked baby off a table, dumbfounded. I guess that's what somebody was saying. And then Imagine Vegan Cafe goes, Absolutely, Wes. Buttholes are completely different. If a one-year-old baby was upside down on a table showing everyone their butthole, I don't think that's the biggest problem. Uh, I would be wondering why... (laughs) I would be wondering why no one grabbed the one-year-old baby off the table, question mark. If she were, in fact, on top of the table, do grown-up adults just sit around and wait for her to fall off? If that were me, I would instantly grab an adult or grab the baby before they fell. This, again, proves it's just drama. Then, uh, vegan, Imagine Vegan Cafe went Well, then went you on- have this one. You had the Twitter user named At Octave. He took screen grabs of the owner's responses, and then the, there was a warning from the owner who that he's quoted here. I'm about to start calling out names and pictures of people who leave us bad reviews, especially when it deals with our children. You will be no longer allowed to come and dine at Imagine, especially when you lie about our babies. The owners also explained, we're starting out with Chelsea Bartley. As a further warning, haters are not welcome at Imagine. (laughs) 
In another pair of Facebook messages that have since been deleted, the owners fess up to the fact that these were, in fact, their children, and sometimes the kids don't wear diapers in the dining room. They should they be said, in the dining um, room again with... They said, these are my children she is talking about. She's complaining about our five-year-old coming over and talking to her and our 21-month-old. Uh, I understand your point, but if you're uncomfortable with a naked baby, then do not come to our <laughs> restaurant. <laughs> Periodically, she will not have a diaper on, and that is life. No, it isn't. That's, not, that's a fantasy where that's okay in a restaurant. <laughs> According to the restaurant's homepage, Imagine Vegan Cafe is, quote-unquote, a family-owned and operated establishment specializing in real food for real people, end quote. The website includes a photo of owners Adam and Christy Jeffrey and their brood of smiling children. Uh, Eater tried calling the owners of Imagine Vegan Cafe this afternoon, but no one picked up the phone. Eater is the uh, uh, website that we're reading this from. So, so that's that's that case. Uh, yeah, that's that's uh that's fucking that's disgusting. Uh, that's like health. That's code disgusting, violations. but it's still hilarious. Oh yeah, it's hilarious to read about. But I mean, dude, you're thinking about naked kids. They have no control over their bowel movements whatsoever, like or barely any. Like you meet, uh, dude, control your kids. And I don't know why that's such a uh, like a controversial angle nowadays to like tell someone that their kid's being an asshole or, or that, hey, can you stop your kid from just screaming at the top of their lungs in the store or whatever? Now, granted... Or at a I restaurant. You know, if it's a baby, okay, you know. But, like, if I were a parent in that situation, the baby's just continuously screaming at the top of its lungs and I'm in a dining restaurant, you know, I'm in a nice restaurant, I, I'm a, we're going to take the baby outside. Okay, we're not going to... Like I suggest, subject people to piercing cries from a baby at a high-end Italian restaurant or something. Not gonna do that. Yeah. So that's that. That's that article. Um, moving on to our next article. Are fidget spinners a plot against the Russian government? I'm so glad we finally get to talk about fidget spinners on our podcast. Yeah, so am I. Man, I love those things so much. Uh, not really. I don't really get the fad. I don't understand it. Somewhere some fucking moron is getting wealthy off of people's stupidity, which I think is always a, uh, you know. It's like the silly bands thing that used to be really popular. Oh, my kids. God. I totally forgot all about those. Yes, I worked at CVS when those were hot. And, yes, those things were, like, selling out constantly. We couldn't keep them in stock. So dumb. Anyway. Fidget spinners are the hot new children's toy this year, but maybe they're also an American plot to topple the Russian government? Those who understand political technologies, they understand very clearly that this is simple, this simple thing is controlling the masses, not controlling me. I don't give a fuck about fidget spinners. Come Damn, at Mike. me. Damn. Come at me. Bro. <laughs> So those who understand political technologies, they understand very clearly that the simple thing is controlling the masses. The New York Times quotes the editor-in-chief of Russia, Politrussia.ru is saying, 
Multiple reports about the dangers of fidget spinners have been appearing on Russian state-run media in recent weeks. It started with the Russia claiming 24 claiming opposition politicians were using them to gain the support of young Russians. An opposition leader was seen playing with a fidget spinner in court, and the toys were being sold at an opposition protest. The Telegraph reports. A reporter for Russia 24 said fidget spinners make it easy to divert attention from the real problems. But the fidget spinner phenomena could be even more insidious than that. Commentators on Rossia 24 said the toys might be an attempt to zombify people. I love that. They're creating zombies. These fidget spinners are turning people into zombies. Oh, see there, your redneck accent is improving, Mike, the more you practice. This is ban the fidget spinners. <laughs> These are dangerous. So uh, if you if you turn fidget spinner around, it spells Satan. Hmm, <laughs> perhaps Satan. So in Russia, and uh, and make them open to manipulation because they turn them into zombies. Newsweek reports commentators went on to claim users of fidget spinners could experience a form of hypnosis. They added that playing with the toy dulls the mind; it takes you to a different place. A Russia 24 reporter pointed out that the package of a fidget spinner purchased in Moscow bore only English writing. Russia's Consumer Protection Agency is now investigating the toys and encourages its parents to supervise children using fidget spinners. Uh, I think that um, fidget spinners are a plot against dumb people to take their money, but I think that's about it. Yeah, and I think it's I a, I think it's a very one. successful plot so far. Yeah. Um I mean, have you ever felt have you ever fucked with one of these things? I fucked with one one time. My brother had one and I I'm just literally like dude, this is like a knickknack that you would It's like a top. It's not even. Tops are cooler. You can do more with tops. Like you can set tops down on various surfaces and you know I missed the I missed the yo-yo trend. You know, I missed that. You know, yo-yos were cool. This this isn't even like that. This is literally as dumb as the silly bands thing. Like because at least with a yo-yo, like you can you can master it and do some cool tricks. Well, people have done some cool tricks with fidget spinners, but like only people with really good hand-eye coordination. Like what? What, you know? what kind of shit are they doing with them? Like they're like flipping them up in the air and landing them on their finger and spinning it. Oh my and, god! You know, doing stuff like that, going in between the legs or whatever. Dumb kids are doing stupid shit with it though, like spinning it on their teeth. You know, or well, you don't even necessarily have to be a low IQ. Like kids just do stupid shit. Oh know? yeah, no, God knows I did. I made spinning spinner in their teeth. You know, ow, or like on their balls or something. You know, I made. I don't get the balls thing. I've seen it was a video I saw on YouTube where this kid's like puts it under under his pants. It's like ow. I'm like yeah. How would you spin it on your... There's physically no way a testicle or a nutsack is going to make any kind of a, a surface for you to spin anything on. No, they spin it ahead of time. And then they put it in between, underneath their, you know, in their pants and then hit their balls with it. Okay, again, um, I, I've seen these things. There's no way you could work up the force or the momentum to where even if you did put in your pants... Uh, I mean, your your thigh or wherever it would just stop it. Inst I mean, anyway, I can't believe I'm having this discussion right now. Um, <laughs> okay, so moving on to our final article here. Uh, and this is, uh, and they were naked and not ashamed. 
church allows nude worship. Um, a, ch- a church in the U.S. state of Virginia, of course it's got to be in the South. Um, I don't know, is it Virginia the South or is it like a midpoint? I, I guess it's the South probably. If I went there, there'd probably be a lot of uh, a lot of country music fans. A friend of mine lives there. Oh yeah, Mike Martin. Yeah. Yeah. Hey Mike, how's it going? Good. Oh good. Yeah, Mike. Uh, uh, anyway, he's he is. He's a good friend of mine. He's, good he, he's doing. He's doing. It's. He's doing good. Everything's gotten resolved for him, which is great. So I love how you just dropped yeah. a reference that nobody's going to understand except for Mike himself. All right, a church in the U.S. state of Virginia. I appreciate it. Yeah, good, <laughs> good, good for good on him. A church in the U.S. state of Virginia has taken the bizarre decision to allow its congregation to attend services in the nude. Pastor Alan Parker, the leader it's of probably uh, probably everyone in that congregation are people you do not want to see. No, nude. like that's always what it is. At least what I've seen. And these nudist colonies, or now nudist churches, these are these know, are not. That yeah. Well, I mean, schlubby, hairy guy. You don't want to see naked, or you know, the kind of homely looking chick with the saggy tits. It's just not really, <laughs> you know. Yeah, people. Yeah, uh, nudity. It, nudity is really only beautiful for like a very short window of time in the human lifespan, comparatively. Uh, nudity is beautiful for maybe 20 years of your life, and then for the rest of your life, put that shit away. Yeah, I mean, even a hot, you know, even if you kept seeing a hot chick nude over and over again, it would get kind of, you know, I don't know. You're on your own on that one, Mike. Maybe not, no. I think I'd probably be fine. (laughs) If all nudist colonies were like that, then it would be Well, you know, I think think what we're missing here is the fact that the nudist... Things it's not about pornography. It's about you know clothes being, I guess, a bondage of uh, bonding. Yeah, I know. Not, not I sexual know, but... bondage, but like it. They feel bound. We're, we're all talking about you know fantasies, you know fantasy island type stuff. You know, it's Mike, what, is it like... is it your fantasy to to be naked? No, no. Oh. Well, I'm I I actually am naked right now. That's I mean I, I'm pretty sure I've mentioned this before, but I do the podcast naked because it gets hot. So it makes sense <laughs> that you're reading about a naked church while you're naked. Then yeah, I, but as I'm naked right now and staring down at my body, I'm hating every second of this, except for looking at my my <laughs> tattoo. Like that's the only thing I like because like that's something that doesn't look shitty. Anyway, uh, oh hi Robert. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hi there. <laughs> I got another dude on my arm. Uh, Pastor Alan Parker, the leader of Whitetail Chapel in the town of Southampton, said that he came to the decision to allow naked worship after concluding the clothing requirements of other churches were overly pretentious, quote-unquote, and decided his own flock should be free to forego such materialism if they desire. He believes he is in good company, too, claiming that many of the most important moments in the Bible happened while the protagonists were nude, including Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. Uh, Speaking to CNN, Mr. Parker said, quote, When Jesus was born, he was naked. When he was crucified, he was naked. And when he arose, he left his clothes in the tomb, and he was naked. If God made us that way... How can that be wrong, he added. Mr. Parker is believed to have drawn at least some of his opinions on nudity from the book of Genesis, in which Adam and Eve were originally described as both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. 
It was only after sinfully eating forbidden fruit from the tree of knowledge. Yeah, that's because there were no such thing as cloves back then, you dumbass. <laughs> well, it was only after from eating uh, from the fruit of the no- tree of knowledge that Adam and Eve are said to have seen their nudity as shameful, at which point they sh- sewed fig leaves into loincloths, which is yet another reason why I am not a Christian. I don't identify as Christian because if you identify as Christian, you're supposed to believe that shit actually happened to truly be Christian. And I'm sorry, that just sounds like the biggest fairy tale I've ever heard. Religion, that yeah. aside, although the, churches, uh, although the church allows worshipers to attend services fully naked, many have decided they would rather continue to attend fully clothed, particularly when in midwinter, while others opt to just reveal their breasts or genitals. <laughs> So some guys just showing up with sh- with a shirt but just no pants. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. The idea is I mean how how are you going to handle the awkward, you know, like the the you know the rising, you know, the random rising and you know, erections and other stuff like that. You can't hide it. You're naked. Well, I'm th- I'm looking from the the pictures here. I don't think any erections are to be had in this church from what I'm seeing. <laughs> I'm just saying that it'll just make you it'll make you go limp the more likely that what you're going to see is just going to make it stay limp nothing's nothing's going to be rising well being told about how such a horrible person you are and that you could quite possibly go to a place of eternal damnation for 45 minutes I'm just finding how hilarious that image would be with this guy prophesizing just butt ass naked I don't know is a priest (laughs) himself naked yes he is wow that's god that's (laughs) That's what I'm saying. Um, The idea is that the nudity is, quote, the greater equalizer, reminding all those gathered in the church that they are simple human beings and that beneath any personal wealth or glamorous outward appearance, they are all more of less the same beneath. Why do you have the people just showing their dick or the the chicks or just, you know, just having their boobs out? It's like... It just seems like it's a very sexual thing to me. There's not a feeling that you have to be better than one another physically. We're humans. We have scars. We have what we have. It's learning to love and accept that, end quote, says Mr. Parker. I don't need to love your naked, hairy body, man. I don't need to do that. I don't need to accept it either. This shit's... This shit, uh... This shit's get get sexual. You can't tell me that it doesn't. At after church, you know, like, hey Judy, I noticed uh, really like your tits. Uh, you want to come uh, hang out later on? If uh, the the you know, it's all for Jesus and whatnot, Bible study, so on and so forth. I don't know. It's, uh, you know, we we as humans can't really be trusted with this kind of shit to handle it responsibly. Yeah. And then, what about the people who don't show up nude? You have this weird mix. This weird voyeuristic, like, like, oh, yeah, I'm here to see the naked people. <laughs> yeah, nude people in the church, and then, like, half-nude people, and then people who are, like, in their Sunday best. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of weird. <laughs> um, and the pastor leads the church by example, standing in his pulpit without a scrap of clothing as he reads stories from the Bible to the faithful gathered in his small rural church. The nudity is not restricted purely to preaching, however. Several couples have recently been married in fully nude services, in which all members, both families, are encouraged to shed their clothing oh before the couple God. takes their vows. Robert and Katie well. Robert and Katie Church, which is actually their last name, were one were one couple to have a naked wedding at the White Tail Chapel, 
with Mr. Church saying attendees were far more interested in, quote, hearing the word of God and speaking the word of God, end quote, than analyzing, uh, yeah, than analyzing yeah. the naked bodies on display. Yeah, I call bullshit on that. Uh, Miss Miss Church wasn't a nudist before the couple met, but says she has since become she has since come to love the experience of going to church in the nude, and now considers her fellow worshippers "quote unquote" family. I wouldn't be surprised if this pastor has some like secret sexual deviant behavior or something. I mean, if not, you know, all right, you know, I'm not I'm not trying to judge him like that. I'm just saying. This type of behavior is usually the kind of stuff you see in regards to sexual deviance. Yeah, I mean, all I'm saying is that, like, that's cool. They can be nude and all that, but the the, the Lysol budget for this church better be in, like, <laughs> the six figures. Because I am not... I mean, it gives a new definition to the word pew. Uh <laughs> I I don't know how I feel about sitting down where someone's naked, unclothed. Because, see, clothing, for very sanitary reasons, is a nice buffer between your asshole and whatever you're sitting on, or your vagina and whatever you're sitting on, or whatever. You know, I mean, we're animals. Things can come out of us and just various substances. Not trying to get too gross here, although that ship has probably already sailed, and that... In that vein, but uh, yeah, their their Lysol budget better be up there. I mean, for me for me to wanna for me to wanna step foot in that church. I mean, uh, hey, if it makes them happy and and they're not causing any trouble, you know, I I don't really have that. It's not that big of a deal to me. But it it is pretty crazy though. It's just one of those like absolutely uh, bizarre piece of news. You're not expecting a church, you know? Oh, everyone. There's a, there's a there's a reason why there's a term called Sunday best. <laughs> so, you know, you know how this goes. They're not expecting people to show up at church nude. All right. I wonder if the God was real. I wonder how he would react to something like that. <laughs> Dude, if God was real, that that would be like that would be like number 162nd on the list of I wonder what he would react to uh, of things. Yeah. Um, the number one reaction would be shit like you know Donald Trump. <laughs> you know, like how would he react God. to that? I don't know. So let's get to the uh, final segment of the podcast where I tell you guys, I let you know about your neighbors, your fellow listeners. Uh, this week we have a listener Deirdre. I think I said Deirdre or Deidre Newman. Deidre Newman of uh, I believe Ontario, Canada. Um, she told me this crazy story. I, I really feel the need to share this story with you guys. Um, and, you know, you can draw your own conclusions from it. Um, so she was a corporate drone, essentially, living, uh, uh, working at a soul-killing job at a software company called Inatech. Um, while undergoing hypnotherapy, uh, Deirdre is left in a blissful state when her therapist dies in the middle of their session. Uh, she refuses to work overtime and then plays games at her desk and un- unintentionally charms two consultants into putting her on the management fast track. Uh, when her friends learn about that they're about to be downsized, they hatch a revenge plot against the company. Uh, basically where they were um, 
able to put money in in a their own account or whatever, but it it goes crazy. Uh, the 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 ploy or the hack goes too far, and instead of only taking little fractions of amounts from the company, they end up taking millions of dollars. So Deirdre is almost caught up in this this uh, really serious uh, money laundering scheme with her friends. Um, but this crazy person there named Milton uh, actually snaps um, after his stapler is taken away, and uh, he actually burns the uh, building down, uh, destroying any evidence that any money was siphoned off. So Deirdre actually got away scot-free um, and then took a job in construction because she felt more connected to her work than when she was just an office drone. So that was a pretty crazy story, and I'm glad she got away with it. It was pretty awesome. Um, you know? Was it a red stapler? Um, uh, the color wasn't specified, Mike. Why? I don't know. Huh. That was, a weird, <laughs> that was a weird question that you would ask. Weird that you would ask that. But anyway... Um, yeah, so that was a crazy story. I mean, did it really happen? I, I think it did, um, but maybe it didn't. But it probably did, or it, it might not have. If you want your own crazy story read on the podcast, uh, considering uh, donating to our or supporting us on Patreon, um, really, you're you're helping to support Mike more than anything because he doesn't have a job right now, although he is trying. Um, so. It helps him out. It helps me out because I have bills on top of bills, and my uh, job as a DJ isn't the most, uh, you know, concrete, set in stone job in the world. But you know, that's all on me. If you don't want to donate, don't. You know, it's whatever. Um, it's not like we're, uh, you know, it's not like we won't eat if you don't uh, contribute to the uh, Patreon. It's just, it's just, it's you know, you know, you know, you're supporting the uh, art, you know, because we do do this for free. And considerable time does go into it, although it doesn't really sound like it does. Well, also, when you find a new platform, SoundCloud is... Yeah, yeah. Pretty much uh, taking SoundCloud, a dive, so... Yeah, that's... I don't know what the fuck's going on with SoundCloud. If any of you out there know, has any inside info on SoundCloud and what the fuck's going on or how to transfer to another hosting site without completely losing all of our subscribers and having to redo the podcast like I, god help me if that if i have to go through that again i i just you can download them i have the podcasts i have all of them backed up on my okay. computer but like if we lose all of our if if we have to make a new rss feed we're going to lose all the people who are subscribed to us i'll have to make it well, that's that's something that's happened. That's going to happen for everyone who's using SoundCloud. So yeah, it, it's yeah. I mean, when I first started this podcast, I definitely did not. think... I mean, I just chose SoundCloud because I used SoundCloud for other things. I didn't know that I should have been using Libsyn or some other hosting site or whatever. Um, also, um, you know, we kind of posted this on the group or whatever and mike i'm kind of springing this on you now but i do remember you saying you wanted to bring it up um mike has talked to robin warder and he apologized and all yes yes i i i i even uh apologized on the group both of our groups for my actions i'll apologize right here i apologize for what i said in an earlier episode of this show about robin warder and his podcast I wasn't really thinking things through. Um, I didn't think we were ever going to have the chance to have him on the show. And 
I was being way too judgmental and way too harsh on the podcast and on Robin. And I, you know, it, it's something I feel bad about because I, at, at first, because I'm just so used to doing stuff on YouTube. And when I do stuff on YouTube, I'm in this kind of rant mode and I kind of over exaggerate things and I, I get kind of mean. And I was definitely a lot more mean than I really should have been. I should have said something like, it's just not my personal cup of tea and left it at that. And I didn't go that I didn't do that. And, and looking back, I, I definitely feel I didn't make the right decision. But I'm glad we had Robin on the show because I learned a lot. I, I, I really have learned to respect and appreciate all the hard work he puts into the podcast. Um, he has a great personality that you don't really hear or, or see that much of in his podcast because, you know, he has a more professional approach to it. So it's just a different sort of approach than the kind of style of podcast that I prefer. But I, you know, because of him, uh, ha having him on the show, uh, on the podcast, I, I've revisited some of the podcasts and I've actually learned to, you know, find, you know, it to be a pretty solid podcast. It's not one of my favorites. I'm not going to lie and say I love it, but you know, I, I definitely do. I can, I, I can enjoy it. Uh, I can, I can enjoy it for what it is, which is more than I could say before. And, and I, I apologize to Robin and said all, all this stuff to him in a personal message and he's, he's cool with it. So, um, I just wanted to definitely, you know, clarify that here in uh, this podcast too, for anyone who's listening, you know, I make mistakes. I'm not perfect. Um, but I'll learn from this because, and I don't want to, I don't want this podcast to be known as something where somebody, you know, we just talk trash and other podcasters and, and I, I just, I don't think that's really appropriate it's disrespectful and, I just don't want the podcast or myself to be associated with that kind of behavior. So this definitely will never happen again because I appreciate our place in this community, this true crime community. And, you know, I, I don't really want to do anything to hurt that. So if I offended anybody, I, I apologize. Uh, you know, if I upset anyone, I apologize as well. But uh, I've worked everything out with Robin. So um, we're we're good. But uh, I, I still yeah I, I had forgotten I had forgotten anything was really said about I, like I I knew you had talked about some podcast a long time ago but I forgot what podcast it was and what was said and I had pretty much forgotten all about this until somebody brought it up one of our I guess listeners brought it up on our Facebook page and I deleted the comment because I was like shit that's right. That was something that 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 did happen, and that would be embarrassing to leave that up and have Robin see that and have us well, not apparently address when I, it. When first. I talked to him, he said he'd never heard it; he didn't know anything about it. But he appreciated that I let him know. Well, yeah, I mean, it would have come back to bite us in the ass eventually. You know, one so day that's why would, I wanted I know, wanted to I, you know I apologize in the group and and I wanted to you know do that here as well. Uh, you know, I just. That's the type of person I am. If I if I fuck up, I'm gonna I'm gonna admit it, and I'm gonna be the first one to you know pay my penance, so to speak. <laughs> well, I think everybody's accepted it and moved on and all, but we did we did want to you know you said you wanted to mention that, and so now that's out there, that's out of the way, that's done. But uh, anyway, damn, this uh, podcast went longer than I thought it would. So uh, anyway, that's uh, that's the podcast for this week. Again, sorry it was a little bit later this time around, but, but it's uh, uh, double stuffed. You know, so. Uh, 
Yeah, kind of. So yeah, kind of is. So next week we'll definitely be going back to our normal yep. format where we're talking about unsolved mystery mm-hmm. segments and. Um, and I can't wait to actually do part three of the West Memphis Three because, man, this just keeps getting juicier and juicier. Yeah, I can't wait to uh, discuss uh, Purgatory as well. Uh, I personally feel it's a big step up from this one. So, All right, well, for me and Mike, that's all we got. Good night. See ya. What's up, guys? The new Dancing with Ghosts album that I have been working on is out now. You can buy it on iTunes or Bandcamp.com or anywhere else online where music is sold. Uh, If you go on Bandcamp, you can get a CD, a compact disc. Isn't that old school and retro of me? Remember those? Uh, Or you could just message me on Facebook and say, hey, I want a copy of your CD and I will mail it out to you. But uh, yeah, it's out now and it is it is finished and it's uh, some good stuff. So uh, if you want to go out and check that out, then uh, like I said, search iTunes anywhere else. uh, Music is sold online or go to Bandcamp.com and search Dancing with Ghosts. Thank you. So hot. Hold on. <laughs> it has strip. <laughs> My ass just sweats. <laughs> I lose ninety percent of my water through my ass. <laughs> That's great B-roll material right there. God, ass. <laughs> Uh, shit. Okay. You sound like that Mad TV character that uh, uh, Michael McDonald did, Marvin Tikva, who's I like this. Uh, he was this overweight, like uh, Hollywood producer, and he was like he was had kind of an accent like that. That guy was probably the best part of that show, but man, that show was just not funny to me at all. Well, that, you're probably remembering the later seasons, which yeah, the later seasons are, were pretty shitty. Maybe. The earlier seasons were a lot better. I mean, they even had the benefit of not having to be live, like Saturday Night Live, and I still thought Saturday Night Live was a funnier show. If you compare early seasons, the first four seasons of Mad TV with SNL Now. Well, SNL Now is... Early seasons of Mad TV are, are a lot better than SNL Now. Later seasons, yeah, I can see why, pretty shitty all right uh we're on episode 57 yep so here goes literally nothing